Welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, episode 43, off the top of the bat, I'll make one correction quickly um, in the actual conversation itself with today's guest, Tim Shaw. I say episode 42, so I don't know how that happened, but it is what it is. No dramas, keep moving, keep it moving. Um, hope your Christmas was fantastic. Hope your New Year's was just as good. Um, yeah, the the place is on fire at the moment. It's obviously kind of died down. A, died's probably not the right words. Calmed down a little bit, but it's uh, shit's still hectic at the moment. So, if you haven't donated, just Google, you know, where should I donate, and you'll find a bunch of places you can actually donate to that go to the right places. If you're that way inclined and haven't done so as yet, um, yeah. So that's that. Um, what else is going on? Uh, today's guest, Tim Shaw. I've been talking to Tim to kind of do this episode for about, uh, it was like about 18 months now. Um, it just kind of happened and then didn't happen and then happened and then didn't happen. And as it was about to happen last time, um, last minute, there was a cancellation. Um, but we got there. We get there. That's what we do here. We get there, wherever there may be. And did I mention this is actually part of... We are part of... The My Age Podcast is part of the uh, Podbelly Network. Uh, If you go to podbelly.com, you can find a whole bunch of really cool podcasts like Just the Worst Podcast, the Sofa King Podcast. Uh, If you're into Stephen King, there's a really cool Stephen King Podcast, Star Wars Podcast for all you... You you used to be nerds and now you're just part of the general... You know, everybody likes Star Wars now. So, I mean, everybody's liked Star Wars for a long time, so that is what it is. The Star Wars podcast and weird phenomenon phenomenon podcast and there's fucking heaps of stuff over there. So podbelly.com, go check that shit out. Um, and if you're interested in actually starting a podcast, there's a whole bunch of how-tos, infos, what to get to get you started, kind of all the shit you need, which is a really, really good resource. Actually, I flicked through, a few people have asked me in the last few weeks about how to get started and I just said, look, I can talk to you about it. But go here first and then send me any questions. And, you know, the questions that came back were pretty unique questions that uh, were unique to kind of what they wanted to do. Um, But, yeah, there's so much information there. It's fucking, it's really good. Pardon the swearing. I'm trying to curve that um, because I've noticed that Cody will say the word shit every once in a while and he'll use it in context. So that's never fun and never goes down well at... um, at daycare so yeah cool um before we start the episode uh, i got given a a sneak preview of an ep by a band called pressure cracks now you may not know the name but the band is actually fronted by a guy named jason butler who fronts fever triple three is it fever triple three or fever three 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 you know blink 182 blink 182 um and let, who used to front let live also features ex-members of scars of tomorrow and they had a new EP. They have a new EP out now. It actually released probably, if you're hearing this the day it comes out last week, but basically early January. Uh, Four track EP. It's a fucking banger. Uh, it's on all the all those, uh, streaming platforms. Um, and they were nice enough to let me play a song. So before we do the episode today, I'm just going to. I just, yeah, I want people to kind of hear this jam and, and it blew me away. It sounds like a really. My interpretation. It sounds like a really kind of polished dangers. Um, and I was mentioning it to a friend. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, the, all those guys hanging out, like it makes sense that they kind of 
sound somewhat similar. Um, and it, yeah, it's really good. Four track EP. The song I'm going to go with is called Shh. Hopefully that doesn't fuck out your speakers, but yeah, it's called Shh. Um, it's the third track on a four track EP. Look, otherwise, you know, do the damn thing. Uh, if you feel like donating, my age, no, pod, paypal.me slash my age podcast. Um, it's been a while since I've said that. If you want to chuck us a dollar, chuck us a few more. Doesn't matter, you know. It's always going to be free. Um, but if you want to kind of help this thing keep going, it'll keep going without your help, but it's always appreciated. It's never expected, if I haven't mentioned that already. Um, or if you want to sign up to the Patreon thing, I've got a kind of cool Patreon idea. Um, I just don't want to... Like, it's going to happen. I'm just not sure if it's going to be Patreon or if I'll just make it in front of the paywall so everybody can access it without paying. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. That's going to kind of come in the next few months or so. I've got to start getting some episodes down. Otherwise, you know, kick back. Uh, it's a fucking cracking episode. Um, Tim's done some shit. That's, you know, and we barely, pardon the pun, well, the sick of it all pun, we barely scratched the surface of things that he's done he kind of gave a broad spectrum you know broad um overview of his life you know 50 odd years well 50 years in two hours so yeah the songs are fantastic um as i kind of assume they would be kick back or don't keep back if you're driving or just you know whatever you're doing do it cool like just do it chill and enjoy the episode and we'll see you at the end of it cool
Okay, episode uh, 42 of the My Age podcast with me all the way from, I guess I'm going to call it the Jersey Shore, although I'm not exactly sure where in Jersey it is. Um, Tim from Ensign. Well, I'm literally four blocks from the beach, so you can say Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore, that's close enough. So we've got Tim Shaw from Ensign, Fuck It, I Quit, just a, 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 a Jersey hardcore, I don't want to use the word legend because I think it's a bit loaded, but... Look, yeah. let's, let's go with the word lifer. That's probably a bit better. Yeah, lifer works. Yeah, cool. So People might disagree with that word legend. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> see, legend's obviously subjective, where lifer you can't kind of, you either are or you aren't, and, you know, in my opinion, you are. So yeah. there we go. Cool. Um, especially, the word, especially the word legend in Australia. Like a totally different, like, connotation than it is over oh, here. Every Like everybody yeah, everybody is a legend in Australia. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just the it's the word. Well, we've used a few other co- well, colorful words nowadays. Um, but yeah, legend is definitely one of those ones up there that kind of everybody falls under that umbrella. I love it. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite things. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. So, um, look, let's just kick it off how we do. Um, Tim, tell us about your parents. Um, you know, I was thinking about when, when you sent me the, when we talked, you said, oh, I guess it was a year ago when you sent me the idea for the podcast and I listened to a bunch of them yep. and it was kind of like, Oh, give them, give some background to your parents. And I, and I, I sort of thought about it and they're just like, they're just like average parents. Yeah. You know, it was like, they're, they, they got married young. They had me young. Uh, my dad's always been sort of, he's always worked for companies in some sort of executive, uh, position. And, uh, my mom, um, worked as an accountant for a little while and then was home for a little while. And now she's, uh, uh, she grooms dogs for a living. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And my, my dad is still, uh, an executive at a company. Okay. The, the, so it's like, it's like nothing, nothing like, you know, nothing like super out of the ordinary for like an average, like, uh, you know, um, American family, I guess. They're just, you know, fourth, fifth generation Americans kind of living the dream. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Um, definitely third, Third generation, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. Great grandparents were the first ones to, on both sides to to come to the states. So probably third generation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, was was there much? Were they musical? Was there much music going on at the house? Like, what was the vibe there? Yeah. No, you know it, it's crazy. Um, I think so. It was the '70s, right? When I, I was, I'm old, so <laughs> it, I was born in the '70s, and I think that the seventies was a, was a super sort of musical time and that people were, who were adults in the seventies had stereo systems and my dad had vinyl and, uh, and there was always, always music in the house always. And then it seemed, it was weird because it seemed at a certain point as I got older, there wasn't as much music in the house. But I remember being a kid and there always being stuff on the stereo. There was always 
the Rolling Stones or um, Cat Stevens or uh, Neil Young was like, so there was like always, I didn't appreciate it then. I really appreciate it now, but there was always sort of this kind of cool music being played in my house. That's that, Was that like particularly your from your dad's side or your mom's side or it was just they both had a kind of communal love of it? Oh, not communal love, but like a shared love of it. Yeah, I think a lot of it was um, my dad's side of things. He He was more into that kind of rock. And then I think my mom sort of still liked a lot of that uh, 60s stuff. Uh, I don't know, like, I'm not super into a lot of that 60s stuff, but like the Beach Boys and Buddy Holly and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I just remember, like, in particular, I remember, like, always there being a lot of Cat Stevens in the house, always hearing it, always hearing it, always hearing it. And then, you know, as I got older, like, that record was sort of ingrained in me, like those Cat Stevens records and just, you know, I, I grew to like love them because I, I just heard them so much as a kid. Yeah. Same with like parts of Rolling Stone songs and things like that, just like stuff that I remember just from being a child, like hearing it around the house. Unreal, unreal. So I guess, do you want to jump jump first, into, uh, jump into your first pick? Uh, what did you want to go with? Um... You know, I think like uh, maybe a Cat Stevens song, maybe yeah. Wild World or Oh Very Young, like one of those two songs are like really two of his really great songs and songs I just remember from being a kid. If you want to 
I don't even know if does he have is he like a thing over in Australia? Is he like a guy who's known in Australia? Yeah, very yeah, very very well known. Um he's not up there with and I guess this is probably coming from a 2019 uh context where he uh went through the uh, you know the name change and the I guess the, yeah, the use of Islam, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big religious thing and that as dumb as that sounds um, and this isn't my opinion on it, but I, I feel like it's probably a bit harder to market that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, I, I know. Like his pop- yeah, his popularity probably has dropped off, or he's not in the not in the general zeitgeist as much. But yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, people over here would have got down. Like, yeah, really would have heavily got down with it. Absolutely, as especially as it was happening. Yeah. So yeah, yeah interesting. It's super interesting because he wasn't allowed. He was he wasn't allowed in the in the United States for a long time because he wound up on the the terrorist watch list. Because so of they the just change? they wouldn't. Um, I think it was because of some of the things he said or they said he said in regards uh, to his religious belief. Yeah, right. But he's recently, I think maybe like two years ago, uh, they started letting him back in the country. It's just it's just nuts. It's the guy who wrote Peace Train. Yeah, you know. Okay. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's highly odd. Um, so were you were you an only child or you've got older, uh, yep. older siblings or younger siblings? No. Just me, only child. Yeah, cool. Um, how was and so are my parents, which is weird. Okay. Th- that, yeah, th- that yeah. is interesting. And so is my, yeah, and so is my wife. There you go. You're all just – and, yeah, cool. Okay. So, like, I guess how are you kind of filtering as at a younger age – like, was your only – like, there's no – literally, there's no older cousins or aunties and uncles to kind no. of feed it to you. How were you kind of at a younger age getting getting into music? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, like, I think my uh, dad um, – because I know, you know, my dad at one time played trumpet. I never heard him play trumpet. I know he had a trumpet. It was in the house until I was like a teenager. My mom said he played trumpet. Like he was a guy who at some point had like a, like a huge love of music. And so I remember him at some point when I was young, we were at like the mall because that was where you bought like your records at at like the mall record shop. And he was like, let's go in and get a couple of records, you know, like go in like pick out whatever you want, you know? Yeah. And so he was just, like, he was just allowing me to sort of like, sort of figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Find your feet. And, uh, yeah. And I didn't, you know, it was like, I was, when I was young, it was, I don't know. It was just sort of like what I was hearing around me because I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have that older, 
influence. I didn't have an older brother or sister. When people that I know that are my age, a lot of them have those stories like, oh, you know, my older sister was like, she was in the new wave or she was in the punk and she passed it on to me or my brother was in the metal and he passed it on to me. You know, I didn't have that. I had to sort of like figure it out for myself or, or, or the friends that I had and sort of, you know, just kind of make my way through music that way. So what what are some what are some I guess records that you remember kind of getting the ball rolling with? Well, I I remember I remember specifically when I was probably I must have been seven years old when my dad was like let's we were at the mall he's like let's go get some records yeah you know I'll buy a record and at that age I thought the coolest band in the world was Kiss. Okay. I definitely do not think that anymore. Yeah. But back then I was like, you know, back then I was like, this is, these guys are the coolest guys. And I think uh, maybe that record Love Gun had okay. just come out. Yeah. So that, that's like 77. So I imagine that's when that record came out. I remember picking that up and I remember being like, I want this Kiss record. My dad was, sure. He's like, do you want another one, another record? And I remember looking through the racks and I saw this record that had um, this robot on it and it was holding the band members and the band members looked like they were dead. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but this band Queen looks really cool. Awesome. So, so it was um, News of the World, right? That's yep. what that record is called. Yeah. And I remember, I remember being like, I want this based solely on, I mean, I'm sure at some point in the car with my parents, I had heard Queen songs. I wasn't sort of conscious about who they were, but I was like, this record cover is fucking cool. Can I get this too? And my dad was like, yeah, sure. And I remember those were the first two records that I got, that Kiss record and that Queen record. That's that's amazing. Like, I love the concept of, because I, I don't feel like it ever kind of happened with me. If it did, I don't remember it. Picking up something, like being that not, not naive is not the right word I want to use, but I'm going to use it anyhow, to just or that innocent to just go, this is what I want based on the artwork. Like I'm literally yeah, this yeah. book by its cover and just rolling with it. And I mean, look, it's a hell of a pick. Like, you know, I'm sure your parents were like, Queen, yeah, this will work. Like this will be, you know, this will be great for the collection. But um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that concept is just fantastic to me. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I just, I, I just remember like just flipping through the vinyl and, and just being like, whoa, or maybe it was it was like laying at the front of the vinyl because it just seventy seven would have been when I think that would have come out too and I was like whoa like look at this record cover this is this is nuts I don't know what this is yeah. but I'm buying it you know my dad being like yeah sure and I think the third record I got was like a Steve Martin comedy record for a while they like supported my like uh, my vinyl habit yeah yeah yeah. Sick. All right, so let's go with the song then. From which, which, what do you want to go with? Are you going to go Kiss or Queen, or are you going to throw a curveball? Oh, I'm trying to think what now. I'm trying to think what's on that Queen record off of a. I guess the big three were We Will Rock You into into We Are the rock Champions. You. Um, but yeah, a, a, another one, another uh, in my opinion popular one was um, Sheer Heart Attack. Oh, Sheer Heart Attack. The rest I don't really really remember. Yeah, that is a good song. You know what? The, I dislike Kiss so much now. Yeah. Like, let's go with Queen. Let's go with let's, your heart attack. Let's not give Kiss any more oxygen. 
Nah, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm over him. Like Gene Simmons is like a dick. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't like them at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. They just they they've pissed off a lot of Australian fans. Um, they literally just cancelled their tour within the last like week or so. Yeah. They were oh, tour. really? Yeah, and they cancelled the tours, and so there's a lot of a lot of the Kiss Army are none too happy at them. The Kiss Army Australian contingent <laughs> are none too happy at the moment. So yeah, let's not let's. Yeah, not you know, that. it bumps me out. It bumps me out because they don't. Um, Ace Freely's not in the band. Yeah. 
and I always thought like of the of the well, Ace Freely and Peter Chris aren't in the band, and I don't yeah. think. And of the four of them, I always thought that Ace Freely and Peter Chris were like the cool ones. The, the, yeah, the more legit of the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, let's. I feel like we've given Kiss too much airtime. Yeah, that, we have. <laughs> we have. So you mentioned before we like just before we listened to the song that this was kind of the last kind of time that your parents were. I get, you didn't use the word accepting, but I'm going to use it. The word, like accepting of your musical choices. What what made the sh- what was the shift? Like, how did the shift come about to go from, you know, record covers with robots holding the band and we will rock you and like that flamboyant kind of thing and the kiss aspect to shift into something that your parents would would not approve of or would not you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I think that. Um, and again, we're going to give Kiss too much airtime, okay. but I, 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 I think that Kiss sort of became like the like a, they weren't a. I hate when people call them a metal band because they're they're not a metal band. They're just like a they're like an extravagant theatrical rock band. Yeah, the glam band. I, I always thought. I think, yeah, totally. I think for a lot of kids though of the seventies, like Kiss led into an understanding of like deep purple and like Sabbath and, and like you kind of like found out about real metal music and you start, you know, and, and if you liked kiss and even if you like queen, you were like, Oh, well here's all this other stuff, right? This darker, you know, actual heavier music. Yeah. I think, I think for a, a, a lot of kids from there, if you didn't, become a full on metalhead, you know, and you had a love of music. I think a lot of us at some point sort of veered off into, well, I mean, it was just punk then. And and you would have like, you know, found your way into sort of that genre of music. But I, I don't think it wasn't that they weren't accepting it. I think that as I got a little older and they got a little busier, it was just sort of like, you're on your own. You're on your own now with, with, yeah music and records you're old enough to make your own decisions you're old enough to go buy it wasn't the disagreements didn't happen until you know i really got into like punk and then that was like when that was when a lot of disagreements about music and and you know whatever fashion sense and all that stuff sort of happened but yeah it wasn't i remember just sort of like you know there were metal magazines back then stuff and you're like oh kisses in this metal magazine you're like whoa, what is this band? What is Black Sabbath? What is this? What is Iron Maiden? As you got a little, what is this, you know? They were a gateway to all that kind of... That was, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. So I think that that was sort of like where I, you know, luckily enough that, that I just, that band sort of opened up a, a, a lot of doors uh, musically for me to explore. And it wasn't then that my parents were trying to like shut it down or anything. They were just, like I said, they just kind of were like, well, you're old enough now. Like if you can find your own music and when you're at the mall, you can go buy your own records, you know, with your allowance or whatever, you know, whatever money you had. Yeah. Makes sense. So were you always, did you always grow up like around the shore, that kind of vicinity or did they? No, no, no. I grew up in like a, I grew up in like a shitty little town in central Jersey. uh, That was not, I mean, everything is you. We were like an hour, 
and maybe like 20 minutes from the beach. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I would go, I would go down to the beach. I would surf a little bit. I would hang out. We would go to the, during the summers, we would go down to the beach, but I, it was strictly, you know, day trip or vacation stuff. So yeah, I grew up in this like shitty little narrow-minded New Jersey town that, uh, that just, I look back on it and it was fine. But when I was in it, it seemed like the worst place in the world. Yeah. I can imagine. Is it yeah? So like, as an as a parent, you'd find it acceptable to kind of grow up in. But as a, you know, a, a, not even a rebellious team, but as a, t- a teen who can get easily bored, it's not the kind of place you want to be. Yeah, you know, it was just as like a kid, like even early on, like I just didn't. I mean, this sounds like you know, to me saying something like this sounds like trying to prove how punk you were at an early age but at an early age I just didn't have like I didn't I played baseball I played a little bit of soccer but I just didn't really give a shit about sports I didn't give a shit about like this is my favorite football team this is my favorite so I didn't have like that sort of stuff in common with a lot of the kids I I mean I I played I played the average sports like a kid in central New Jersey would play and I, I didn't hate it but I was never particularly amazing at it. And I just didn't really. So it was weird because even early on you were like, Oh, I'm like, I don't necessarily have all the same interests that like the kids my age have. Yeah. That makes and sense. it's not because I, it's not cause I was like, Oh fuck sports. I was just like, I just don't love them. Yeah, I, absolutely. I can, I can completely relate to that. Yeah. So were at this time, were you, were there many other kind of, not, you know, I'm going to say outcast, but like, were there many other kids at your in your town kind of listening to this style of music, or was it something where you were a bit of a loner in that kind of thing? Yeah, so like early '80s, it was, you know, I look back on it, it was kind of cool because early '80s, like everything was a little punk because yeah. New Wave was so big. So, so everything, like it was weird. My mom got really into bands like. Blondie and the cars. She wasn't in, she wasn't a new wave person, but she loved like, I remember her like listening to those, like those bands, the cars, uh, Blondie. Um, I'm trying to think what it like Roxy music, like stuff like that. And that all had like, sort of like a little bit of like that, that like late seventies punk flair to it. Yeah. So, you know, it was like, that was that, image was sort of like around me at 12, 13, I was just sort of figuring out, um, you know, metal music, uh, maiden and stuff like that. And then it wouldn't be until like 14 that I would discover, uh, like sort of begin to discover punk. And at 14, it was, uh, that first suicidal tendencies record, the self, the self-titled record, yeah, I discovered that came out in 84 yeah. or 83, I think. So I was 14 and somewhere along the way, like in like a metal magazine or something, somebody had like a Suicidal Tendency shirt on. Oh, that's a fantastic and I was like, to find out about bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, and I, you're like I, I got to find out what this is. And you got to remember like, so there's no internet, there's no you know, everything is through the mail or going to a record store. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember uh, the coolest thing was where I lived in my little shitty town was close to this town called Princeton, which has a giant university in it. Ah, uh, cool. And the Prince, the Princeton University radio station, WPRB, was like the punkest radio station in the world. And I could pick it up at my house in my little town. That's fantastic. That helps. That helps a lot. Yeah. So I remember, I remember somebody like a, like a, somebody who was a little bit older than me in school, like tuning me into like, Oh, you want to hear some metal? You want to hear some punk? This is the station. And I remember going home, finding it, picking it up in my house. And then like, that was it, man. I remember I, I heard that first suicidal record. I heard, you know, discharge. I heard, um, descendants, Husker do like all of this stuff. And I remember just like recording tapes, yeah. like just recording right off the radio to have that stuff. So 84 was like, would have been like the start of me just gathering, yeah. like just gathering everything that that radio station was playing. From, from there, so that would have been like, could you take that stuff that you got from the radio like, and the knowledge you were picking up, could you go to the local record store and get it? Or was that still, well, was that still, like, well, here's the, here's the, here's the really cool thing. So Princeton, where the university is and the radio station is, is like this really elite college town. So, um, like my parents or my friend's parents would have no problem taking the kids to Princeton to like, let us run around the town. Cause really there was, you couldn't get into much trouble. You yeah. know, it was, it was a big college town and it had like a couple of streets with shops on it. And in that town in Princeton was a record shop called the Princeton record exchange, which was like, it was basically the, what the radio station was playing. You could walk in there and everything was on vinyl. Oh, the fantastic. And so at like, at like 15, so 15 would have been when I would have started to like, we would have started to go to Princeton and kind of go off on our own. I remember just walking in that record store being so fucking intimidated by the college kids that work there. And just, you know, if, if I thought picking up the queen record cover, the queen record blew my mind. Like there were records in there that I was like, you know, yeah, mine melts. Oh my god! Like, look at, this, look at this. and you know, there's a suicidal record. Here's like, you know, here's this Dead Kennedys record. Here's this, you know, and the guys behind the counter, you walk up with like a Husker Du record, and they'd be like, "Oh, you like that? Then you got to check out this. You got to check out that." And it was just, it was really lucky that my shitty little town was right next to a town that was just had that you know had yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, and, and it was the coolest thing just, you know, listening to that radio station and, you know, the DJ guys would be like, Oh, well, you know, up next is, this is off the new Who's Could Do record and just hit and record and play on your cassette yeah. tape. <laughs> yeah. And then got it. You're like, there it is, you know? Perfect. And then, and then as you got a little bit older, that college, like that area had a bunch of shows too. Yeah, so, so that's what I was going to say. Like, like, were, there, were there much, was there shows and that kind of thing happening as well? Or that was still kind of off? I mean, not that you may have been going to them at 40 well, years was, old, but. That, yeah, that was a little, 
that was maybe like uh, two years off, like of me starting to go to shows. Yep. So there was a there was shows going on, and I was aware, and I would see um, flyers in the record store. But you know, there was no way that there was no way I was going to get to go until I was, you know, a little bit older. At fourteen, my parents weren't. You know, they might let me run around Princeton with a bunch of my friends, but they weren't going to be like, yeah, sure. You know, you can go to wherever this band is playing, you know, and that, and that leads into like a whole, that whole going to see live music thing eventually would become a struggle between me and my parents too, because I think they had an understanding of sort of like what the clubs and the air, like the neighborhoods we were going to and what the clubs were like. Right, yeah. And so that became like a, yeah. A point of contention. But yeah, that, that 14 year old, like, um, 14, 15, it was just super cool because, you know, it, everything, you know, every, it was all new. It was all just blowing my mind. And that first suicidal record just was the thing that like set that whole, you know, once I heard suicidal, I was, you know, I didn't care about, I always liked metal, but I was like, I, this, this is it. Like there's a world out there beyond like this shitty little town I live in and these terrible people that I don't like in my high school, there's a world beyond that where, you know, there's people who are, you know, people who are making this kind of music. That's yeah. the world. Like I'm interested in finding out. Did you realize like how far away they were or like, no, you, you know, I, I feel like, um, back then everything just seemed far away. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, who was from Minneapolis. Uh, Suicidal was from California. Everything seemed far away you, when you didn't have a car. Yeah. You didn't have the internet. Like, internet, you know, the internet just shrunk the world so much. Yeah. Before the advent of the internet and cell phones and everything, I feel like everything, like, for a time period, even though we were super close to New York City, that seemed far away. Well, that's yeah. Right? That's what so, I was going to ask about New York City. Like, yeah, did that like you say? You say your mum listened to Blondie and that kind of thing. To me, at a younger age, and even now, like New York City is a it's a you know it's a day on a plane and that kind of thing. It's another world away. But for you, it's potentially like a two hour car trip. But if you don't have a car, then well, it may as well be a day away. Yeah. So everything everything seemed far away until. Um, we discovered that we could get to the train station and we could take the train into New York city okay. on our own. Yeah. And that was like, and we would sneak into the city at like 16. Wow. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like we would like, like we at, would go at, at to dark my, or you'd, you'd kind of, Hey mom and dad, I'm going to school. And then off you go. No, uh, we would, we would go in and, and do like, like in and out before, like, no, we wouldn't be in the city at, at dark. Yeah. We, we were little shits that were terrified, but like I had a friend, I had a friend whose um, mom wasn't around that much. So we would be like, Oh, we're going over to, we're going over to his house. Yeah. And then we would hop the train, take a like, you know, hour and 40 minute ride into the city, like, like meekly walk around the village and then like get back on the train and come home. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, that that shrunk the world a little bit, but I, I, you know, bands from California, bands from, you know, like I said, even bands that were relatively close uh, 
geographically seemed far away when I was uh, 14 or 15. So I didn't really, I knew what, I knew that bands were doing things that like Husker Du didn't sound like suicidal, Yeah. but Husker Du sort of sound like Descendants. Not really, but you can sort of see like that. You can see the, the similarities. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I was more, I wasn't really understanding or necessarily caring about like geographically what the bands represented from their particular states and their scenes, I was sort of categorizing like, well, this sounds like Husker Du and Descendants sound similar, Suicidal and Minor Threat sound similar. So these are, you know, that's how I'm categorizing music at like 14, 15, things like that. Like just, just trying to collect as much as I could and, and still you weren't hearing full record until you could go and buy one. You know, again, it was on the internet. So I heard a suicidal song, bought the record from Princeton Record Exchange, heard the whole record. It blew my mind. You know, heard, I don't know what the record in maybe like what Husker Du would have put out in 84, Flip Your Wig, maybe. Um, hmm. Not. I'm not sure what would have been their release around 84, 85, but you would have heard something off that. And then to go get like the record or the cassette, because then we, we would also buy a lot of cassettes. Right. And, and you would hear the whole thing and it would just, it would just blow your mind. You'd be like, Holy shit. How is it possible? And I don't feel you're not even as picky at that age. You're just, so like a whole record sounds great. Now I'm like, Oh yeah three or four of the songs on that record are good or whatever. But like at that age, you were just like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. Every, every song is blowing me away. So like I get, look with that, I think there's, you know, it's the perfect time to kind of pick. Can you pick something that kind of encapsulates that period of your life in one song? Oh man, it's hard, but you know, it's like, I'd have to pick, just because that suicidal tendencies record changed my life. Yeah. Like it really, it was the first record. It was like the first punk thing, real, like aggressive punk thing I ever heard. And it just, I mean, I imagine it happened to you, right? That, that switch flips. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And you're like, yeah, like here it is. This yeah. is like, this is what I'm going to pursue. Like I'm going to find out everything I can about this kind of music. But on top of that, like everything right? else is in the past. Like it's it's like a someone hits yeah. the reset button on your you know, on your taste and your musical you know journey. And oh, cool, okay, that's all that's all behind me now. And this is this is what's ahead of me. Yeah, totally. You're like this is this shit has just changed the game for me, and I'm never going to be the same after it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that look, I think that's kind of what I'm. That's what um, the the general vibe of this podcast is like. Just let's 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 go through what got you from the early years to literally now. Like what what changed the game? You know, in five different points, what changed the game for you? So, do you remember? Do you remember the song you heard on the radio, or you just know it was suicidal tendencies? Well, it's weird because the first song um, I ever heard because they were playing it all the time, was uh, institutionalized. And then the second would have been I Saw Your Mommy. Oh, yeah, okay, but right. The, 
But the song that I remember that they, I heard one night on the radio was um, I Shot the Devil. Fantastic song. And that song, like I, I loved Institutionalized and I Saw Your Mommy, but I Shot the Devil for some reason. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? Like, what the fuck is this? Yep. Absolutely. Like, I liked that song. I liked I Saw Your Mommy because it was like, it was like upsetting to, at that point, like, I was like, oh, this is like sort of getting my parents a little bit. This is like upsetting them. And for some weird reason, when you first discover punk, you're like, yeah, no one, like, my parents can't like anything I'm listening to. Yeah. So this, this ticks the so box. I remember, like, yeah. I remember that song, my mom just being like, that's terrible. Turn that off. Yep. So I loved it for that reason, but I shot the devil. is like, I heard that and I was like, oh my God. This is the coolest thing I've ever heard. So that's, it's amazing you picked that song because, and this is kind of going to age me and this is maybe a skeleton in the closet, but um, the song appears on the movie Empire Records. Have you ever seen it? Empire Records? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it plays for like 12 seconds and on the strength of that one, that, that in, on the strength of that 12 seconds, I took my ass down to my, my local record store and was like, I need the Empire Records CD, uh, soundtrack. And they're like, yeah, cool. Um, it's going to be $40 and because it's an import and it's probably going to take about three months to get here. And I was like, here's my money. Give me a call. Like, here's my home number. Give me a call. And, but yeah, because I was like, I remember hearing that song going, what the fuck is this? Like, it was, yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, finally getting the compilation, finally getting the soundtrack. And it's not on there, and I was so devastated. But yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. so yeah, hell of a song. Cool. Okay, so yeah. Let's check sure. it out. We'll do the. Did they? I feel like this is one of the songs they would have re-recorded. Yeah. Did they? I think you know. I think they. Re- I think they re-recorded that whole record. Yeah, that sounds right, actually. And that was like sort of a real bummer to me. Suicidal tendencies, like um, you know, up and like up until a certain point. 
uh, Lights, Camera, Revolution, that would have been, they will remain one of my favorite bands on the planet. Yeah. After Lights, Camera, Revolution, when they really got into all the funk stuff, they've just, they're better now the last couple of times I've seen them, but they sort of repeatedly di- disappointed me for like a number of years. Yeah. And then they re-recorded the first record and I was just like, ah, oh, fucking stop. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't don't mess don't mess with my childhood here. Yeah, yeah I feel that. Yeah, yeah so as, as someone who didn't hear it the first time around, I listened to the, the re-recorded version and go, ah, this is what I like, but that's because what my ears are attuned to. But I can completely understand yeah. that would really, that would rattle some, uh, ruffle some feathers. Yeah. Yeah, sick. Cool. So you're running around Princeton, you listen to the Princeton uh, University radio station yep. and you're sneaking yep. off to New York. Did yep. it when? When did it dawn on you that? Yeah, did it dawn on you at an earlier age that um, music was something that you could do? Yeah, you know that was the thing. I think by like um, by like sixteen, I think I realized that you could you could make cool music, and you didn't have to be, you know, um, a, a you didn't have to be so. like people, or you didn't have to be like. Uh, Robert Plant, like you could just like average kids were making, you know, by that time, by like 16, I was like, whoa, these like, these guys aren't much older than me. And, and they're like, and they're making like this music that I love. And by that time, by about 16, a few of us in, in, there were like a few older kids in our high, in our school that we didn't really hang out with. They were a little bit punk and we had like a small, sort of collective of like a handful of kids. And then like, I would have like done my first band would have been like 87 maybe. Okay. We did, and we did like a little, there was, we did this little punk band called the please. And, um, I don't know. You might know that the singer was this guy. He's a, he's a professional comedian. Now his name is Michael Ian black. He's got pretty good career over here. I don't know if he ever so familiar. Yeah, he did a show called The State on. Uh, so he had a TV show called The State, and now he does like a lot of stand up. He's written some books, uh, and so it's usually like when people find out about it over here, they're like, "Wait, what the fuck do you mean you were in a band with with Michael Ian Black?" But yeah, so anyway, so like '86, we would have like done like we recorded a demo. We did this. We did this like little tiny band, um, played around. And then 86 would have been like when I would have started like 80 end of 85 beginning of 86 was when I would have discovered the ability to go to live music and then say like, say from like 16 or like 17 onward, that was like, that was the explosion. That was like, like everything, right? Like all, all of the band, like you know, I mean, I know that sounds weird, but it was like, that was like in that period of time into those teens was like, there was at some point there would have been sick of it all. There would have been killing time. There would have been Cro-Mags. There would have been Gorilla Biscuits. There would have been, you know, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. All uh, right on the heels time. of, like, yeah, right on the heels of like discovering, like, you know, I think maybe the first show I would have gone to would have been like the Ramones. Um, and then, uh, there was like an early, like 
did, I saw who's uh, produced. Did you go to the Ramones because you knew who they were, or it was just a hey, here's a flyer from a from a for a gig, and it looks cool, and I should go to it. Or they would have been popular enough that they were they were a known yeah. entity. Yeah, I knew who they were. Um, but the crate, so the, the, the really crazy thing was, um, is for a little while when I was in, okay, so this is gonna, this is gonna take my punk cred down with me <laughs> saying I don't like sports, but, but there was a point where my parents were like, mm, you're going to do, you're going to do something. You're not, you know, you don't want to play baseball. You don't want to do this, but you're going to do something. Yeah. And some reason they signed me up for like a gymnastics class. Okay. And it just so happened that the guy who owned the gymnastics, um, center that I went to sang in a punk band. Wow. And, and so he sang in this band. They never really did anything outside of New Jersey. They were called detention. They were, uh, they were like a really tiny sort of like local punk band. Yeah. But, I stuck around, I stuck around the gymnastics place for a couple of years because there were, I had some friends there and I actually enjoyed it. And, uh, so 86, I remember him being like, Hey, detention is playing this club called city gardens, which is like this legendary club in New Jersey that did every show yeah. sort of like our CBG. He's like, we're detention's playing with the Ramones at city gardens. And he got my parents to let me go. I went with them. They got me in, and that was would have been like one of, you know, not the first, but like that would have one of the first shows I saw. I saw a couple of things before then, and a couple small local things, but that was like you know that early Husker Du show, and then that like Ramones Detention show would have been the first like bigger punk things I saw. And then after that, uh, once I discovered. Uh, this place, City Gardens, and and then it would have been like I everything. That that time in my life, that like uh, that like eighty six, eighty seven to all the way up, you know, into like when I started Ensign would have been, you know, the bulk of it, yeah. right? When you look at your life, like that, all of the bands that you know weigh heavily on on my life are you know are somewhere in there yeah suicidal still in there all of, but that was like that was it i was like then i was in a scene i had like you know i had made friends i was going to shows i was just you know and it was different than being like one kid listening to the radio alone at home trying to like you know devour it all that was insane it was insane because we were close enough to the city and then we were just we were just in the city all the time. You know, we were close enough to, we were close enough to Philly, Philadelphia, and we were close enough to Connecticut. So there were just shows everywhere. Right. And so once somebody could drive or once you were friends with someone who was a little bit older, you were just, you were just at shows all the time. And you were, once you were at shows all the time, music was easier to, you know, music and t-shirts were easier to, to get a hold of. Acquire. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so yeah, that, that's sick. it's just crazy. Cause it, when I think about it, I just, I just, you know, I can't believe how important like that chunk of time when I look back on it, you know, I, I, I try not to be, 
you know, a nostalgic person because I, I still love music and, and all, and, and the same way I did back then, but just, just how much and, and how like amazing it was, like just to find yourself lucky enough to be in a, in a, in a moment in time where you have access to all that. Yeah. Cause I have friends grew up, you know, all around the world that were like, yeah, we just, it was just a thing we would read about or we'd see like a VHS tape or we'd, you know, we'd hear from somebody else who was like, went to New York on a trip and they saw this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, my wife was from like a town that wasn't, was sort of equally uh, accessible to all of this stuff. So, you know, to, to the two of us, when we look, you know, we look back and we're just like, man, what a sort of like, what a lucky thing to just yeah. be here. Yeah. Be you know, in the mix. Absolutely. What were they called? What was it your, the gym owner's name? Oh, detention. 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 You see detention. Did that, did that kind of uh, spark a flame or did like, was it, what was it that kind of got you to, I guess, grab a mic? Uh, I didn't, I played bass in the first band I was ever in. I, uh, I never had any intention to sing. Um, I mean, I think, I guess at some point, uh, when you're in, into punk and, and eventually, you know, into punk and hardcore, I think at some point everyone has thought like, oh, I could, I could be in a band or I'd like to do a band or, you know, I never really, I played a little bit of bass. I was never really good at it. I sort of lost interest in it. Yeah. Um, and then, but I never really thought like, I didn't think I was ever going to be in a band. And it just happened that, um, the, that Ensign had kicked their singer out and, uh, I ran into the drummer and I was with the guitar player from vision. So, and he was like, Oh, Chris, this is Tim. You should have Tim sing for Ensign. And Chris was like, do you want to come down and try out? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And that's that. But, but previous to that, I had never sort of been like, yeah, I want to be a singer in a band. So where did the sick of it all roadie thing come into? Were you singing Ensign at the time or were you, were you kind of? No, no, no. So, so I was friends with the sick of it all guys. When I first started hanging out in the city, the first sort of two friends that I made that like guys were really cool with me were uh, Roger from Agnostic Front and then Rabies from Warzone. They were like two guys who were like always real nice to me. And they sort of like through them, I met Lou and Pete, Narmond, and uh, I started to sort of like go to some shows with the Sick of All guys. I had uh, gone and roadied for uh, Armand's other, Armand and Craig's other band, Rest in Pieces. Yep. And, um, then like eight, like 89, like into 90, like it would have been the very end of 89, sick of it all was getting ready to go to Europe. And I was working at a video store and I remember they came in and they were like, um, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go on this European tour with us? Just like and that. I was like, I was like, uh, yeah, do I? And I was like, uh, so I got the time off work and stuff and, and, and went and then, uh, what did, and work for them for a really. What did roadie consist of when you first started out? Like, like it was it just? It was. It it was, was yeah, sorry, you go. It was, it was. I mean, it was sick of it all. You know, like the, it was. It was. They took me. They took Toby from H two O. Yeah. They took uh, 
Isaac, who's in Scarhead and Crown of Thorns. Like they took our friends. Like they took a bunch of idiots who, who couldn't do anything. Yeah, that's. that's right? I didn't want to say that, but like you don't come across as. You, no, you never once mentioned that you had. Oh, and I dabbled in electronics, so I could fix this or that kind of thing. It was just like, oh, it just kind of happened to be there. Yeah, and then so I was Pete's guitar tech. Okay. And I didn't know any. I mean, Pete had to teach me how to. This is how you change strings yeah. on a guitar. And yeah. Really, what it was is we loaded gear in, we jumped off the stage, we started a lot of fights, and that would go on for like years yeah. until at some point, we're always like okay, this guy and this guy is gone. Tim, you're going to have to like step it up a little bit if you want to, you know, no more jumping off the stage and fighting people. No one, no more. Learn a little bit about guitars. Yeah. You know, I muddled my way, way through it. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was funny. It was like, originally it was like there, it was just them being like, we want to take our friends like on tour with us. Yeah. You know, which is like awesome, right? Like yeah, we want to take these guys. Yeah. We want these guys to be cool as shit and, and hang out with us. Um, you know, eventually I would go on and I, I had, I guitar tech for ranted for like seven years. Oh, really? Like a real, not that, not that sick of it all is not a real band, but by the time I departed working with sick of it all to do Ensign, like sick of it all had put people in place who, you know, knew what they were doing more than the guys that they had had previous to that. Yeah. And then eventually at the other side, like at the other side of Ensign was still going, but at a certain point, like midway through like Ensign being a band or three quarters of the way, uh, I started working for Rancid and I worked for Rancid for like seven years as a guitar tech. And like, they were playing like, you know, through what era? Like from, from literally uh, from uh, self-titled or. I would have started uh, with them uh, maybe the end of touring for Life Won't Wait. No, it would have been Life Won't Wait because I was working for Sick of It All and we flew out to California and toured with Rancid when Rancid was touring off self-titled. So that's how we all met. I was with Sick of It All and we were on tour with Rancid and then I would have gone all those years with Ensign became really good friends with the rancid guys. And then maybe at the very end of life on weight, or I think indestructible would have been the record after weight. It would have been right in that, like right as indestructible was coming out. So indestructible seven years after that, I, I like worked for him. That's incredible. I had and no I, idea. And I had, and I had a little bit of a con. It was funny because I've never been the greatest guitar tech, but in like the seven years that I worked for those guys, miraculously, Lars never had a problem. So somehow I just sort of like, somehow I just sort of like, I don't know. I had good people around me. Everyone in the crew was good. Um, we were all really good friends. It was the same crew of people for like seven years. Yeah. And uh, so it's really funny that that sick of it all was sort of like became that jumping off point for me to, to do to tour with those guys for seven years. So this is this is me gonna nerd out completely, and I'll probably cut this part out. I remember an interview <laughs> with um with like I'm a I'm a huge Rancid fan. I remember an interview. Oh with, yeah, um, they're great. Like they're, they're the, like my friends and I flew over to Punk Rock Bowling mid year, 
specifically just to see Rancid because they haven't been out here since ninety uh, early ninety eight or late ninety. Tell me about. Yeah, they just yeah they just don't. Twenty one years they haven't been back, so you know yeah it's a point of contention for a lot of Australians. But I remember reading in an yeah. interview that um Lars was talking about his guitars and he ran that. I don't know, I don't know if he was. I think he would have because I'm sure it was in a few of the film clips. He was using that white Les Paul that phone Les Paul custom, and yeah yeah him getting pissed off because something like he said he someone decided to change the pickups because they'd be quote unquote better. And he was so pissed off that they did it that he fired them. That obviously wasn't you, but does that? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah, does that story sound familiar? Uh, uh-uh, no. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I never, you know, I wouldn't have even known how to change pickups. Right. Yeah. Well, that's if yeah. any. It was funny because the the uh, my friend Ryan, who was our uh, monitor guy all those years, is like a total tech head. So yeah. whenever anything went really wrong, like we'd be, at, you know, we'd be sound checking or whatever i'd be like ryan i don't know how to fix this and he'd be like he'd like handhold me through the process of fixing something but to to this day so seven years i professionally worked for a real like a a professional band and if you were like tim you were a guitar tech can you change those pickups i'd be like no i have no idea how to change <laughs> wow. pickups. That's i'd look at him and be like yeah I have no don't ask me to take your guitar apart because i'll fuck it up so you were you were const- I mean, you were constantly touring with them, like it was it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, for it was you know, and it was for a while. It was really cool because they were touring so much that they would have the crew on retainer pay. Yeah. So we would tour. We would go home. We would get paid a couple of dollars. Half pay to be at home. Yeah. So it was awesome, you know. So like you could do it. It was. It was like a job. And you were gone a lot, but you were also home a lot and getting paid to just hang out at home. And and then, you know, at a certain point, like, uh, one by one, they sort of started like changing up the crew. Uh, I got like, you know, in the shuffle, I got, I got let go. And then all of a sudden, like sort of everybody I worked with got let go or moved on to other stuff. And, and now they have like a different group of people. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was an awesome, like working for those guys was, was awesome. Like we were going to Japan all the time. We were touring the States. All, I mean, working for sick of it all, like, you know, the two bands, uh, the only two, I mean, I, I've worked, I currently, the only other band I work for is uh, I work for Dag Nasty when they tour, which they don't, they just don't do that much, but like working for both sick of it all and rancid, um, you know, I, I can't think of like sort of two better bands, from the styles of music they play that I had the opportunity to, to, to travel the world with, you know, it was like, it was like a nice, like sick of it all. Ensign, Ensign and Rancid, like just like all of that, like touring I got to do, um, from about like 1989, you know, into like the nineties and, and into like the early two thousands, like just so lucky to like have that, you know, those experiences. Have you got have you got any you know st- non incriminating stories you can kind of tell that that stick out? Yeah, no, I mean nothing like. Uh, I mean, there's lots, but there's like nothing like you know. It's funny because early on with sick of it all, it was like just it was sort of mayhem. You'd just be like, well, how long, how long before a massive fight breaks out of this show? So you know what it, I mean? It was it was, and, and, it was it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. 
Yeah, and you were like, now what's going to happen tonight? You know, like, is someone going to get hit with, like, a beer bottle? Is someone going to get maced? Is, like, are, are we going to fight the bouncers? Like, and then eventually, like, that calmed down a little bit because really, like, a, a band can't sustain if that's, like, their touring regiment. Like, okay, we're just going to, you know, it's going to be mayhem. And Sick of It All was the band that deserved and wanted to have longevity, so they, you know... That sort of like, and then it was like, after that calmed down, the thing about touring was sick of it all was like, it was like being in this like insane, like the, the, the goal when you were touring with sick of it all was to just break someone's will to live okay. like within, we would just, we would just fuck with each other so much that you would just try and break someone down. I, until they were just like a pile of, of mush. Yeah. And it's funny whenever anybody who worked for sick of it all, then gets together. Like when we talk, it's like, we're all, we're all crazy. We're all insane people because of sick of it all. Yeah. Right. We yeah. might've been, we might've come through well-adjusted individuals if we hadn't toured with sick of it all, but because of the, because of like sort of the, way it was within that camp yeah all of us came out like you know it took me years it took me years to to travel with people in a band capacity where i didn't want to like hurt their feelings or make them feel miserable or like fuck with them like push their buttons and then at a certain point i was like you know you got to stop like you know you can't you can't do this to, uh, particularly in the new band. Like I'm like, the guys are all so great. I'm like, I, I don't have an urge to be like, but in Ensign, like, you know, the first many, many years I, I toured in Ensign, I was like, yeah, I, I was like a bad person, yeah. like just trying to like, <laughs> and then the rancid camp was just, it was, you know, it was just, it was just mellow in a lot of ways. I mean, it was a, it was a lot of fun. You know, Lars is, is still like, uh, one of my best friends. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was touring and it was fun and it was, the shows were big, but it wasn't like, uh, there wasn't like a lot of chaos because when I came in with Rancid, they were already playing, like they were established, they were big and out come the wolves had come out yeah. years ago and they established themselves as like a big band. So I inherited like tour buses, big venues. Yeah barricades like i inherited tour managers like i didn't have to you know i didn't have to sort of like go through the them coming like you know what it must have been like touring with them when they were coming up in like the punk scene yeah it would have been just as wild yeah that's it and that's what they you know when they tell stories it sounds like you know their version of coming up with sick of it all yeah you know like you you come up in your own individual scene like through like the battlefield or whatever and then you get to your establishment point and everyone who comes in to work for you or works around you at that point inherits like all the hard work and all of the insanity that that came as you were like sort of rising up through the ranks yeah that's insane see okay so you you kind of you kind of touched on it before. Um, we, you've been into it for a very long time. You've been playing. You've been fronting bands and playing in bands for a very long time, um, especially obviously in the nineties. 
which started and finished in real in two different kind of points. Um, what was your what's your not what's your kind of take on that? Like, I mean, obviously you can't be unhappy or happy with where it turned out. It's just it is what it is. But like, did you see trends kind of come and go that you thought were crazy or that should have stuck around or? Well, you know, I think a lot of like um, a lot of bands, uh, a lot of the New York bands um, by the end of like the 90s into the 2000s weren't like really playing all that. Sick of it all was playing Cro-Mag in one way or the other. Yeah. We're like playing some shows. Um, uh, GB would have been done. Um leeway was like i don't remember when they started putting out like those terrible records they put out towards the end um and then you know and then it was like it just grew into like well there was that like snapcase sort of sound uh like you said boy sets fire um it's funny because throwdown like the california like that thing yeah. what throwdown like grew into like throwdown became a band so that they could play a show with Ensign. Well, we really? knew all the original, yeah, we knew all the original Throwdown guys, and they were all sort of like these like little skinny, like squirty friends of ours from California that came out with this like total like like real heavy, really aggressive record. And then with Throwdown, like when they not they were not a legitimate band when they first formed, but the band they became was like sort of even like a different entity than when they start. Um, I mean, I like, I liked the sort of like the, I mean, obviously like Ensign was touring a lot. So we had, you know, the thing about Ensign is we, you know, we toured with sick of it all and they took it, you know, they, they did, a, they did a lot for us as a band, took us on tour a lot, but we also, you know, toured with bands like good riddance. We toured with, uh, the Suicide Machines, we toured with Anti-Flag, we toured with, um, you know, we did shows with Snapcase. We, so it was sort of like, uh, we were sort of lucky. And, and, and so all of that stuff that umbrellaed out of, of the New York and the California scenes, like we were just fitting in luckily, like with all of it, all these bands were like taking us out on tour and giving us these really cool opportunities. And, uh, so that stuff, you know, what was happening in the late 90s and the 2000s was that was sort of at like the the height of of Ensign and and you know so you know, I have an affinity for a lot of that stuff. I know a lot of guys as it was coming out of the 80s into the 90s, they were sort of like a lot of the like, you know, older guys or some of the New York guys were like losing interest in what was going on, whether the music was like getting too melodic for him or yeah. too metal or, or whatever. Um, you know, but a lot of guys were real supportive, you know, it's like, uh, like I said, you know, Roger, he, the agnostic front guys were always super supportive. Sick of it. All guys were supportive. Um, you know, Jimmy and Murphy's law, like all those guys were like, they were always pretty supportive of new up and coming bands. The people who were booking CVs were like, really supportive of like in that like late nineties, two thousands, like getting, you know, putting like bands like us and stuff on a bunch of the shows. Yeah. Um, and it, it was cool. So I have an affinity for like a, a lot of that 
stuff. It's funny. It doesn't, um, some of it doesn't have like lasting power. If I go back and listen to some of that, like victory record stuff or some of that stuff that I, I really liked back then. Yeah. And I have like a dozen t-shirts in the basement of those bands. I listen to it now and I'm like, ah, uh, that's not, that's not real good. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know, or it's not like, or it's like, I just don't like it anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, but that, I think everything that happened in the, in the, the late nineties into the two thousands was sort of a, a, just a progression that you could see it was going to, that was what, you know, that was what was going to come out of everything that was happening in like the early nineties. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just part of the course. So, being a you know being obviously a, a very prominent band on the east coast obviously across the whole country but obviously but you know you've got your your roots firmly planted in the east coast what is the process behind signing to indecision and nitro records to huge um, west coast labels? well so yeah so we were actually so we were luckily um we did have like we did have a good like New Jersey hometown following we had, we were lucky. We had a lot of the New York bands take us under our wing. So we did really well in New York and like Connecticut and, and what have you. But one of the, the, the first two places to, to really embrace us as a band outside of like our home area were, um, oddly enough, uh, Toronto and Montreal and then Southern California. Okay. And we, the first time, so we were friends with, uh, Dave Mandel, who does Indecision and Mike Hartfield, who did New Age. And we were, we were asked if we wanted to go out to California and play. The, The first California show we ever played was, uh, Strife, Damnation, integrity unbroken and us wow. was it a festival that or was, was a, it just a colliding tour no it's a show we okay. played uh either either hartsfield might have been hartsfield was like yeah why don't you guys come out and play these two shows so they were like the same bill maybe one or maybe one band was, was different yep play these two shows and we'll get you like another show like I think we played a backyard with like eleven thirty four or something like that. Why? Do, and, and so we just the band and a couple of guys from where we were from just flew out to California. It was like a we're going to have a vacation and we're going to play a show, yeah. three shows out in California. So we went and uh, I was friends with Mandel and um, and I don't know. We were just Mandel was like. I was like, you want to do a seven inch or something like that? And Mandel was like, yeah, I'll definitely do a seven inch. Cool. Yeah. And we were, and I would say if we weren't bigger, when our popularity, whatever that means was at its peak in New Jersey, we were just as big in parts of California. Well, wow. Okay. So it did, it, like, it did make it that big over there. Yeah, I mean, we, we we played big, big, big shows in California for a time, yeah. for a time. And same in New Jersey, we played. And I would think, like, we almost played some bigger shows in California. We would, there were, like, some pretty 
decent sized rooms that like we would headline and sell out with like a really good bill. Um, and it was just awesome. We just, we were, and we had like the, the best group of friends over there, you know, for years we would go, we would, when we would tour through California, uh, the person who was saying up our tour would like, you have to give us four days off in Southern California. And she'd be like, why? And be like, cause we just want to hang out with our friends for four days. Yeah. So there'd always be this gap. Like we'd come in, we'd hit orange County and there would be four days without shows. We'd hang out and then we'd start the tour up again. Yeah. And it was just, it was awesome. And for years it was awesome. Yeah. I can imagine. So- and- and then what you asked about Nitro, right? Yeah. So how does, and then, how does Nitro? Because on, like around this time, I guess you're touring with AFI. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're imagine? touring with like all those kind of bands. Yeah. yeah. And we had a friend who worked at Nitro, who hit us up and was like, "We're interested in putting out a record." Um, and you know, it's funny. I look back on like out of you know, you're always going to look back on like the time that you were in a band. And I think I highly doubt there's anybody who went through their entire lives in a band that was around for quite some years. that doesn't look back and say, Oh, I have like some regrets about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I look back and it was this like moment where I remember the guys who were in the band, we were like, Nitro wants to sign us. And we were like, yeah, let's sign to Nitro, but we've got to, Mandel's supposed to put out another record on Indecision. We're going to jump the Indecision ship. We're going to go to Nitro because we want to see if we can, you know, oh yeah, I guess you call it, I don't know how much of a sellout it was, but we wanted, we wanted to see if we, oh, maybe Nitro will let us do this as like, like a job job. Like yeah. we can like, you can, elev- you can make something. Yeah. Go to the next level. You know, and, and so, and so we went to Nitro and, you know, it was, su- it was such a peak, fuck. It was such a piece of shit experience, man. Like it was, it was good for a little bit and then it just fell apart. And I went like, I went nuclear, like on the label. Like there was a time when like Ensign would tour Europe and we had a booking agent and we had press people and we had to do press things because we were on this label that had these expectations and they were dumping money into us. And I would like do these press things and they would be like, so what's it like being on Nitro? And I'd be like, you know what? Fuck Nitro Records. Fuck Dexter Holland. Fuck The Offspring. And then our press person would be like, what are you doing? Like they just gave you X amount of dollars to tour over here to tour with this band in a tour bus. And you're just slamming them in like the magazine. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't really care. So our relationship with Nitro went sour by the time price progression came out and it was just, it was just a shitty situation because we had a label that didn't like us. We didn't like them. So, so things were bad yeah. before the album actually even came out. It was, it was as the album was like launching that yeah. I, you know, I started to have really bad feelings about it, yeah. but it's, it's funny. I look back and I'm just like, man, I just wish that we had let Dave put out cast the first stone and and then sort of like made a decision what we wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and it's just, but you just, you look back and it's like, you know, hindsight. You're like, oh yeah, I mean, should have done this, should have done that. You know, yeah. we were still like just a bunch of young guys trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, Nitro was like, 
in the end, I look back and I think like, oh yeah, that's like sort of a, a regret I have, Yeah, you know, of just sort of like leaving a friend's label to like sort of chase after something that, that, I mean, never really like materialized. We could have done the same we did on those eras on Nitro. Like, I think we could have done, uh, on Indecision. Yeah. Just as, you know, maybe what album would we have toured? Was it Direction that we would have toured Australia on? Um, or was it Cat? No, it was Direction. Uh, hold on. No, 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 it was The Price of Progression. Was it? Yeah, because it was, yeah, it was Price of Progression because it was about the band I played in that opened for you guys at one of the shows was I joined in 2001, band broke up in about okay, 2004. So, so, yeah, it was definitely Progression. It was then Price. So, then, like, I, I can't say that, you know, okay, so being on Nitro, they licensed the record to Graham, yeah. right, at Resist. So that got us over to Australia. Okay. So yeah. I can't, and and they licensed the record to this uh, label in Japan that got us over to Japan. So for me to say, like, there was nothing that came out of it that I felt worthwhile would be a lie because it got us to these, like, you know, I don't think if we had stayed on the decision, we would have made it to maybe Japan or Australia. And those yeah. were like big, like those were like monumental things for us as a band to, to go and do those. We've spent a big area of time, but what's something that kind of yeah. sums up the nineties, early two thousands for you musically? Let's say, hold on. When did scratch the surface come out? 96. That's a little, that's a little, I mean, what, if we're talking between the nineties and the two thousands, yeah, that yeah. record scratches. 90, sorry, 94. Oh, sorry. Um, 90. built to last is 96. I think. Scratch the service to me is a perfect record. I it sums up. Yeah. I was touring with them all through that record. Uh, not that sick of it all is still not a great live band, but I felt like they were like, on top, I felt like they were the most untouchable band in the world when that record was out. And I think from the first song all the way to the last song, it's like perfect. And it sums up that like mid nineties, my mid nineties experience. So ceasefire, like you're saying right to the end, ceasefire for the first, oh, for the first 10 years of me playing bass and playing live was my sound check song just the in oh, it's such a good song yeah it's fucking fantastic <laughs> cool so i actually no let's quickly talk about this album because i only found out recently and god knows how i found it out you're in the scratches uh, sorry you're in the um step down film clip yep step down uh scratch service video oh you're but, uh, but, but sorry particularly in um step down you you're one of the dancers yeah, like yeah. One of the, yeah. you know, if, 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 if I'm one sure, if you listen to this, you've probably seen the film clip a hundred times. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I literally found out within the last three months, four months that you were, yeah, one of the dancers. One of the most fun days of my life was, was being at that video shoot. I can imagine. You can see me, you can see me in that and you can see like a little young shithead Tim in the biohazard video. Um, in the or, um, oh, what's a fucking song? The the punishment. Punishment, yeah, yeah. There's a little shithead version in that. 
Yeah. I'm gonna, when I was at my toughest. We're going to have to work out what the timestamp is. Yeah, well, I'll let, I'll let, it'll be like Where's Waldo. I'll let you find yeah, no, see if you can find me I'll on your own. I look forward to it. That's what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm just going to comb the video um, for it. Yeah. But, yeah, that I, I think that, that scratch the surface record, um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about it now. I'm just thinking about, like, what a good fucking record that is, man. Yeah. It sounds great. It's like every song is like, there's not a bad song on it. Um, and it really was like, I just remember all those years, like being with those guys. And that was like the record that like jumped them from sort of like a big international hardcore band to like a really big international hardcore band. Yeah. And I really like that song. The second song on that record, that song Insurrection. Yeah. Oh man. I it's it's so good. It's like a it's a straight up punk song. So this this last part of the podcast, it's it's always you know it's always going to be different for everybody regardless. But this part, you know, we're we're talking about from the early two thousands up to literally you know when where the the last second last month of uh, two thousand nineteen. There's a lot of ground to cover in you know, but what without generalizing too much or, or generalize as much as you want. Besides, I guess touring with Rancid for seven years. What else have you been up to? Like for those who don't know, um, well, let's see. So I toured with Rancid, um, and then Ensign was still a band for a while. Um, I f- I feel like you know I had this. Uh, I look I look back on sort of like the Ensign timeline, and I feel like the last couple years we were a band, we sort of like limped along a little bit and I'm not really like sort of I'm not really like psyched on that like sort of like the the ending few years of Anton I just kind of feel like we we weren't really the band 
that we once were. We had gone through too many member changes, and it was just. What what year did you call it quits? Like officially, we would have called it. We would have called it quits. Like officially, well, it's funny. Officially, maybe like three years ago, okay. I started saying like. I started saying like, yeah, you know, when Ensign broke up and then every once in a while people would be like, what do you mean Ensign broke up? I'd be like, oh yeah, we're done. We've been, we've been done for like a year okay. or something like that. But, but the last few years was like really sort of sporadic and lots of people in and out of the band. And it was sort of just me and Nate. And, um, and so, yeah, it was kind of like that whole ending part of, of Ensign is a little, it's fine, but I sort of wish we had just pulled the plug. We had, we, we had pulled the plug before we did. We didn't sort of let it kind of drag on. Yeah. And then when there was no, so I wasn't working for Rancid and then I suddenly, and then I didn't have a band. I wasn't in a band and, uh, so I started teaching yoga, uh, and I, I, I currently, I, I do that. And, um, and so I, I've done that for, since 2010, I've been teaching yoga. And then other than that. So, so how long have you been, sorry, how long have you been, had you been practicing yoga for before you become a teacher? Obviously there's, you've got to put some out, some serious hours in for that. Yeah, but not like a ton. I, I think I would have been practicing just two years before. Okay. Uh, my wife like dragged me. My wife dragged me to a yoga class. I liked it. Um, I found a, a school in the city that I really resonated with. It was like really like the two people who founded it were like old Lower East Side, like 1970s punk rockers. Okay. So the the whole methodology of the yoga teaching is to be sort of politically, environmentally, uh, animal, uh, activist, like all of that was tying in music oriented. All of that was tying in with the yoga. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is in line with, with the values that I'm bringing from, from hardcore and punk into this like yoga community. So I was still, I always felt like I was still aligning with, with some of the stuff that I was singing and talking about in Ensign. Yeah and just translate it into, into yoga classes. But I, I kind of was like, Oh man, you know, I really like to do a band. Like I, I really wanted to do a band and I really wanted to do a band that was, that didn't sound anything like Ensign. That was really sort of aggressive. I was like, Oh, I want something that sounds kind of like discharge and a little napalm death, a little neurosis, a little heresy. Some of the old UK bands, some of the Swedish and Finnish bands and some of the Japanese bands. And I just happened, um, my friend, Matt, uh, who's the bass player. I, I was like, dude, I want you to do this band with me. And, oh, you know what? I forgot. I did a metal band called between the wars okay. that put out a couple of records. It's not good. <laughs> ignore it. I, ignore, I said that. ignore. I said that except that the guy who played drums in between the wars was the guy who got to play and fuck it. I quit. Oh, well, yeah. okay. So, so, so I got Matt, and Paul, who are guys I really like, and we got our friend George, who's like a famous like BMX guy. Okay. And when we just, you know, three years ago we formed 
this band that I, I like absolutely fucking love. Like, I don't care if nobody likes it. I, I, it's the sort of the band I've always wanted to be in. Not that I didn't want to be an ensign, but this band is like sort of everything I always wanted to, to get out of a band. So it's like yoga, fuck it. I quit. And then my wife and I work at, um, at an animal sanctuary, like an animal rescue. So those have been like the three things that sort of like are, are like up until now have been sort of like what's going on, like in my life, music. I'm really excited, like over the last couple of years to have like music, um, to be in a band again, you know, to not just be like a a fan of music. And I seem, I feel like you've got, you've found a, I guess the cheat code to the perfect balance of juggling being in a band that's, you know, somewhat active. Like we had to bump one of the recordings because you went over to Europe for a few weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and you can, so you can still do that and you can still kind of work and you can still do your yoga and, you know, and I feel like, yeah, you've got it nice. And I guess that's, yeah, that's part of the philosophy of it all, but you've got it kind of perfectly evened out or balanced. But the thing, now here's the, the, really cool thing. The cool thing about the style of yoga I teach, it has allowed me to twice, um, I say live, but it was like a long extended trip, but to live in Australia for, I've been there for like eight weeks at a time. Yeah. And, and so, and, and, and the studio is in Newtown and I have, I know my way around. I, I, you know, I can get from Newtown to Bondi, yep. like where I have friends in, you know, I have friends in Bondi that own like a surf shop. I have a lot of friends in, in, in. That's, you, you stay with Pat, yeah? Yeah. So Pat. Yeah. You know, Some so Pat's a, really good, Pat's a really good friend of mine. Um, Shout out Pat. Fantastic human. And Tina. He's like literally, Pat and Tina are two, uh, and Milo. So right? That, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pat and Tina are like, two of the greatest people on the planet and all of the yoga people that I know over there, uh, that all live in and around Newtown are like the most fantastic people. And I, my affinity for Australia is, is so insane how much I I love the country, but in particular, like, I mean, I have only traveled like, you know, up and down the, the coast, uh, and the tour that Ensign did, but my affinity for that area of like Newtown out to where Pat lives and back and know my way around there. Um, I, I just, I love it. I feel so lucky to spend so much time there. And that's, that's strictly due. That's due to the yoga because I, my owns a studio in Newtown and he's like, Hey, we have a teacher going away. Yeah. Why don't you come over? And then, you know, I get to come over there and, and, and stay for like, you know, eight, nine weeks and, and just, it's awesome. So the music has cool places. The yoga has got me back and forth to Australia a lot where I still see, you know, I still see Graham when I'm over there. Like I, I saw, I saw Dave when I was over there. Um, I keep in touch with like yeah. Pete and all those guys that I had, a bunch of those yeah. guys I had met, you know, the, when we came over years ago. Last Nerve didn't do the Last Nerve did selected shows on the Ensign tour, didn't they? It wasn't they didn't do the whole thing. No, they did two shows with us. And what's what's funny is when I went back when I went back to Australia the first time, uh, and I hadn't been in Newtown for you know 
uh, like 16 years when we were on tour, when we were on tour over there, I remember Graham put us up in a place in Newtown and the Newtown 18 years ago and the Newtown when I was there for the first time, like four or five years ago was radically different, you know, but it's like, yeah, I mean, and it's great because those are like friendships. Uh, those friendships that I made on that, uh, on that, on that ensign tour we did over there, you know, there's still guys that I talk to and when I'm over there, like we'll get together and we'll have dinner. And that's the good thing about the, that is it's brought, it's enabled like that world, you know, your world shrinks where you don't have to lose touch with those yeah, people. Yeah, which is, which is definitely a positive. Yeah. So. I'll, yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I just don't assume that fucking I quit is ever going to get asked to go over and play Australia. I don't think Graham's going to want to dump money into bringing us over there. Well, look, strange, not, I shouldn't say stranger things have happened, but, um, you know, there's never say never, I guess. Like we, we get, we get, we get, we get really like similar sounding bands that, um, you know, someone just really like really is really, really passionate about a band and says, well, look, I've got the money for flights. I'll fly the band over. We'll count the numbers at the end of the tour and we'll see what happens kind of thing. But at the worst, at the very worst, you get yeah, a yeah. holiday kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, Never totally, say never. Totally. Which I think, you know, that, that's sort of what happened when Graham brought us over. And, I mean, that was a long time ago. Like, you know, the fact Graham was like, yeah, come over. Like, you know, and those shows were good, but he definitively didn't make any money off of it, you know, and, and neither did we. But who really, like, at the end of the day, who, like, gives yeah, a shit? That's right. Right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's the cool thing with Fuck It, I Quit is we, everyone in the band is up for doing stuff and we'll do as much as we can, but Matt, the bass player, tours with the Bouncing Souls and Hot Water Music. And so it's like our schedule, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go out and like, we don't have the ability to go out and be like, kill ourselves for like three months of touring. So it's like, oh, we'll go for a couple weeks, come home, you know, write, play locally, go out for a couple weeks. And it keeps it, um, it keeps it awesome. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it keeps it like really, really fun. And we, we stay like, uh, like super passionate about it. And, but we're willing to, you know, it's cool. Cause everyone is like, yeah, I'll go. Like, you know, someone, if Graham was to be like, yeah, I want to bring you guys to Australia. You're not going to make a dime. Everyone in the band would be like, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, totally. Put in for holidays and off we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let, can we, like, let's quickly talk about, um, in the shadow of extinction, that's and you know that's so i heard someone describe it recently as like that is that and sect no sorry fuck it i quit and sect are what straight edge in 2019 is um what's what's your what's your like you know what's your take on actually this is that hasn't got the only reason it's got a lot to do with fuck it i quit is because of the actual content and message but like what's your take on the way veganism has kind of exploded, exploded, pardon me, in the last, you know, two or three years where it's now, where like yeah. big business is now involved in that kind of thing. Like, do you, is it a double-edged sword or is it nothing but positivity or what's your take on that? Um, well, it's sort of like, it, it, it's sort of like, so it'd be two things, right? If you're talking about from the fuck it, I quit from the perspective of the band and the lyrical content of the record, um, fuck it. I quit is lyrically 
when we're talking about we're we're talking more about the animal rights end of things than the vegan end. And so it's, it's sort of more on the, the militant end of supporting direct action uh, in support of animal rights. And then sort of this political activist stance. Now me, the individual looking at the explosion of veganism, like I think, I think it's, inevitable that big corporations are going to get involved with something that's making money. So there's, there's an inability to, to stop that. Now, as an individual, you have the choice of what companies you're, you're going yeah, to support, with your dollar. Yeah. right? So, so to me, um, like the impossible corporation and beyond and sort of like these other companies that like make vegan products that have been bought up by like, you know, bigger conglomerates. Yeah. I'm as a vegan of, you know, many, 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 many years. I'm super excited to see the, although the word plant-based bothers me because I think it's a cop out. I'm like, just it's, it's vegan. It just, but they don't, it's not, yeah. Plant-based is an easier marketing Absolutely tool yeah. for the app. Because vegans already got that, so, that inbuilt connotation of you eat less. To it. Yeah. yeah, completely. Completely. So the idea of, of plant-based um, being sort of like in the lexicon, like just average, everybody knows now, like you can't go buy a Dunkin' Donuts, like that's our crappy donut shop here. Like you can't go buy one that there's not a giant sign that says, Try our new plant-based breakfast sandwich with impossible beyond in it, right? I'm not – I'm never going to be angry that there's those options available uh, because it means that there's a shift. Now, am I going yeah. to run off to Burger King and have the Impossible Whopper? No, I don't really give a shit, but the, yeah. it, it's not for me. They're not, these companies aren't making these products for people who have been vegan for 30 years. Yeah, who've gotten by without it already. Right. And so, you know, you can choose, like, you know, look at who your parent company is. Like, what, you know, what, Tyson, who, who's like the one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, manufacturers of, of, of chicken products. Like, they're owning some company that's making vegan food, right? You have to choose, am I going to buy this vegan product and put my money back into Tyson or am I going to buy a smaller company or what am I going to do? That's me, the individual. But me, the individual, is my mind is also blown how far uh, veganism has come as we begin to shut out this decade and go into, the, into 2020. I never thought in my life I would, I would see the things that are happening now. So in that way, I'm super excited about, it. you know, how can you not be, you went from like a niche, tiny little movement to like, like everybody has tried like a Beyond Burger or an Impossible yeah, Burger. Just for, out of curiosity, like whether the the biggest out of curiosity. Uh, carnivore, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I know, and, and, and I know that like, you know, Sydney, Newtown, but like, there's a there's great vegan food over there, right? So you 
had the choice, like you can go, like when I'm with Pat, uh, we always go to Funky Pies down near Bondi, right? Uh, and, and and it's a small like mom and pop shop. Like you can you can choose to go and have your your small like awesome vegan like pie from there, or you could go to something that's like I can't remember what the name of the vegan burger shop is. It's like a little more corporate. It's like more in downtown Sydney, but you can choose to go there. But you have the Lord of the Fries. Lord, Lord of yeah. the Fries. Yeah, yeah. So, but you have like the option, right? You can you can you know you can choose. It's not like if you live there, you're like Funky Pies is the only place within a hundred miles that I can get a vegan food and they're owned by this awful corporation. You've got like, I know in my limited scope of what, of that area, I can probably think of 20 like vegan restaurants that you can, or restaurants that have really good vegan options that you can choose from in that area. So now, you know, in, in, in 2019, it's like the options are like exploding. So you don't have to go to Burger King and have an impossible Whopper if you're, a vegan who doesn't want to support that. But someone else can walk in and be like, I'm going to try that. And, and maybe it clicks a switch and maybe they don't, they try meatless Mondays. Who knows what happens from that? Yeah. But I think it's amazing. It's, I think it's really To bring amazing. it back all around in the most bizarre ways, like I've always thought that, you know, and I completely understand why people detest the idea of a Hungry Jacks or a Dunkin' Donuts or whatever participating in that. But, it's a, yeah, to bring it back around in a yeah, to bring it full circle. It's like Dunkin' Donuts and Hungry Jacks are like Kiss R to Sabbath. Like it, 100%. it opens the door. Yeah, it opens the door because, you know, there's some kid in you know, small town, small you know, small central wherever who doesn't quite feel right about eating animals, but all of a sudden Burger yeah. King or Hungry Jacks or what you know, that option is now available and they think, well, fuck, like I, th- th- what other option is there for me? Because I don't have, my town doesn't have the population 100%. of that. So yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, whatever I've, I've learned or I've tried to learn or remember as I get older, like whatever, whether it's like educating people about animal rights through the, through the sanctuary or through yoga like, or veganism, like whatever gets someone's foot in the door so that they can have the switch go off in their own head. It's like anything. It's like music. It's like punk rock. Like I needed that suicidal tendencies record to flip that switch in my head to say, fuck, this is it. Like, this is the game changer for me. Maybe like you said, somebody like has goes to one of these chain restaurants and has that, that burger. And they're like, this is it. This is like where I start my journey into like, you know, changing my diet. And, and you've got to like allow people like the space to find it on their own. So the more that you, you know, the more you can put out there, the, the, the more opportunity you have for people to, to, to change their mind about things. Just like if I hadn't had the radio station, I mean, what would have happened if I didn't have access to that wealth of music that the DJs were playing, like how long would it have taken me to find those bands and would I have found those bands? Yeah, well, that's that's the exact thought. Yeah, would you have found it? Would you have yeah, eventually come across it or would you have... Yeah. Or, or, or who knows? 
Yeah. You know, maybe at that, maybe if you don't find it at a certain point, you're just like, you just sort of lose interest. I, I know people who like music, but they're not obsessed with it. Like, like there's not a hardcore person on the planet. I know that like a life or a hardcore person who isn't obsessed with music. Right. I know people who like music, but it's not like a, it's not like a mainstay in their life. It's like, yeah, you know, music's all right. And I look at them, I'm like, what, sick? I was like, music is like one of the only things, you know? Oh, amazing. Um, so it, unless it's like, let's spruik, spruik, whatever. How do people come across Fuck What I Quit? Um, yeah, plug anything you've got to plug. Um, well, we've got our band camp. Yep. So they can look at the Fuck It I Quit band camp. We just put out uh, an LP called War Ritual. And that's on, in the States, it's on Atomic Action. And in Europe, it's on Refuse Records. And I don't know, I don't, I, all I really know is like what Graham brings into Resist. So yeah. I would imagine he would probably bring it in on Atomic Action. Um, I'm really like, I mean, I, I hate to like, you know, talk well of like my own records, but. Uh, Look, if, you, if you're not easily, going then who else will? You, you've got to love it first. I guess, yeah. It, it, it's easily the the my favorite out of anything musically I've ever been involved in. War Ritual is my most favorite thing I've ever been a part of. I mean, I I listen to it. It's weird. I listen to it on the regular. And that's really weird because I normally don't listen to anything that I've recorded vocals on more than like a handful of times. Cool. So what um what song do you want to kind of sum up the wrap up with that's kind of encapsulates the last 15, 20 years? Well, so here's the thing. I thought I actually all the rest I sort of like thought about and was like, yeah, I, I know I have a general idea. This one I had to think about for like a really long time. Understandably. Right. And so the song I came up with was, um, do you know that song Armchair by Avail that's on 4AM Friday? Yeah, 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 very much so. That that song, I mean, especially, you know, we're on like the, not to go off on another tangent, but we're still sort of like on the heels of those Avail reunion shows, which, which were like... You were a part of one of them, weren't you? Well, we played, and then I also, and then I also uh, roadied for them. Wow. And, I mean, that's another band, you know... That's another band that Ensign toured with yeah. a lot. Like Avail and Ensign toured a lot, and and they're, you know, if I'm gonna like list top bands, like Avail might be my favorite band of all time, followed closely by Killing Time and Descendants. Right? It's like a, it's like the top a three. three. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so on the heels of like, you know, not that I never ever stopped listening to Avail because they've always been in my heavy rotation. Yeah. But after those reunion shows, I was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to like listen to their from start to finish, like whole catalog yeah. and make a playlist, like, you know, the best of the best. And that song armchair, right? Like as I get older and lyrically, the, the song is talking about, you know, what, what are you changing? Right. What, what are you changing if you're just sitting back and having discussions and arguments? And I translate that like, you know, I, 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 I modernize those lyrics to fit into 2019. Like you're, you're bitching on the internet. You're like, you're, you're 
you're complaining in front of the TV or, you know, a lot of what I've seen as I get older is that a lot of the people that I grew up with in the punk and hardcore scene have sort of become these really weird right wing conservative, like borderline racist, like these people that you thought you knew. And now because of the political climate in the country, they're empowered to like show their ignorance. And this song sort of symbolizes like what, what are you fucking doing? Like the world is literally on fire right now and you're content. You think sitting back and, and having your discussions, like, like sitting back in your chair, discussing it, talking about it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the kids use these days, like, and not going out and really doing anything about it. Like you're not changing shit and you're letting the world, you're, you're, the world is getting worse and you're not, you're not a part of the solution. Yeah. And so that song sort of encapsulates like trying to be like, you know, like pushing, like get, getting close to 50, which is like insane to even think about it, but like <laughs> pushing close to that number, like looking at my life and like realizing that in a lot of ways I'm, I'm angrier than I've ever been, but more focused on the fact that, that anger without direction and anger without action is like not changing anything. It's not productive and, at all. Yeah. And right. And, and, and things, if things don't change now, right. If we don't, we're, we're there. Uh, people think we're past there, but I, I like to have like a little bit of hope yeah. that we're still at a point where if things drastically change, we could write the course a little bit, but so many people are like, content to either fall into line with this conservative mindset in the country or who are open-minded and liberal, but don't really do anything. They just sort of talk about it yeah. and there's no action behind things. Doing. And that song, I was listening to it one day and I was like, like I always end with a veil song. I was like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Like what the fuck? Like what the fuck is wrong with people? You know, and that's been sort of like my my anthem, like for, you know, since I was hanging out with those guys at the reunion shows, I've been like just constantly that song's been in my head. Like, yeah, you know, get you got to get off your ass. It doesn't matter how old you are. You've got to get off your ass. You've got to like, you know, you, you can't let the tide the way it is continue to roll in. You've got to do everything you can to change it. And words are not enough as the decade closes out. I mean, you could pick just about any Avail song, and I'd be like, and this song, yeah, and that's yeah. another favorite. Yeah, yeah. But it's like that one. It, it's just, it's just, I've watched, I've just watched so many people on top of everything that I thought I knew. Like when people show their true colors and they're, they're super ugly, and you're like, whoa, like, how did you, like, Scoot through punk and hardcore yeah. when deep down everything you believed is like this vile, horrible shit yeah. rhetoric that our president and all of his buddies in government are pushing. Out. Like, how did you scoot by all those? How did you stand it? How did you hang in a scene that was like espousing all these ideas and deep down, like all this vile, you believed all this vile shit. Yeah. Right. 
Well, what, and, what were you listening you know, to? What like what were you listening to? What were you paying attention to when the lyrics, when a lot of the lyrics are so blatantly obvious? Like yeah, like what were you doing? Like just just moshing? Yeah. Like yeah. was that it? You were like, no, I'm just here to like to like mosh around. Like okay, like you know. And now it's 2019, and this fucking idiot we have as a president is like inspired you to like, yeah, you know, I I am kind of a racist yeah. and. Yeah, you know, I have no big problem with gay people and 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 in this that and the other thing. And you're like, I will go buy a tiki torch. Yeah, yeah. It's like, who are you, right? And and thank God, though, a lot of those people are also what that armchair song is talking about. They just sit and they just throw their shit up on like the internet, and they don't really do anything. They're like useless slugs that like just talk this like this their line of shit, but they're not, you know, they're not doing anything about it. They're just living their pathetic little lives, like believing this shit and probably surrounding themselves with other people that believe that shit. But the people on the other side of it still can't sit back and be like, yeah, it's cool. You know, you gotta be like, no, that's not cool. And we have to, you know, the time is now to like, you know, the time was 10 years ago, but the time is like now, you know, to, to really, you know, take a, it's just, you know, take a step, like do something. So yeah, that song, Armchair by Avail. I thought about it long and hard. I had a list and one that kept coming up at the top. They're just, they're just monumentally like one of, you know, and it's, it's going to bum me out if like, if Bo hears this because he's just going to make fun of me. But I mean, you know, I mean, those guys know, I mean, they're just such good fucking band like i can't all i can tell you is this is is the only thing i'll say about the reunion shows is the richmond the richmond show when we got down there and they they started playing and my wife is standing next to me and she's smiling and her eyes are watering up a little bit because she's just so excited and i'm like i'm just like i can't believe it and i'm just like they're friends. They're like, they're guys we toured with a lot. We like toured Europe with them. Like I saw them play every night. They're like, and it's just everything about them. Musically, they're like just awesome. Tim's lyrics are like so rad, so personal and so inspiring. And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like they're just so fucking good um yeah and plus i never thought i mean you know i i never i always thought no they will be the band that never reunite for whatever reason yeah and and i can tell you me and the bass player for fuck it i quit uh were toured with tim solo for a while okay and i think every day that we toured with him we'd be like when is avail gonna play yeah he's like Y'all, he'd be like, y'all, Avail is never going to play again. Yeah, yeah. And the next day, when is Avail going to play? He'd be like, y'all, Avail is never going to play again. Yeah. And so at a certain point, we were like, I guess Avail is never going to play again. Yep. And then, you know, they, 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 got it, they got it together, like, enough, like, whatever inspired them to do it other than just, like, and I, I'm, you know, strictly, like, you know, yes, they got paid for the shows, yeah, but, but it's the love of the music. If a veil isn't playing with the love of the music, 
then it's not going to translate. Yeah, it's all. not going to work. You can't you can't be in that band if you're not and in it. If you're not, it, yeah, yeah, it, people are going to see right through it. They're going to be like, yeah, I saw it. Like all the reunion, like I've seen some reunion shows, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it was fine. Like it was cool. I think you would look at a veil, and if they weren't a hundred percent there, like yeah, I saw a veil. It wasn't like there was something wrong. It wasn't like on fire like it should have been. From the Richmond show all the way to the Boston show, like that they did, it was like it was inspiring every night. And you know, I was thankful to be there. I was thankful for all the times. I it's the one of the bands I never took for granted that Ensign toured with. Like a lot of bands, I never realized like you know, oh cool, we get to tour with this band. You know, uh, whatever uh, that those Avail tours. Like I would watch them every night. I would like dance at night and it was like I never took for granted because they were always like one of my most favorite bands ever you know those songs that's a, that's a song selection if ever I've heard one thank you for making it all the way to the end it's really appreciated um, myagepodcast.com rate, review do whatever you know I actually found out that I was number 21 for a brief period of time number 21 on the Australian music interview charts which look it's a niche category for what's relatively a niche country as big as we are in size we've got the population of like California or something so you know, but it was nice because there were some big names that I was kind of a bit ahead of or, you know, a bit behind. So I really appreciate everybody listening. Um, thanks for the feedback from the Best of 2019 episodes. That's always fun. Um, again, myagepodcast.com, Podbelly Podcast. Sorry, podbelly.com for all your podcasting needs. And we'll do it again soon. Cheers. Everybody knows
and people you just had to meet without your clothes and everybody That's how it goes. 